Hello and welcome to DisruptX, a virtual talk series conceptualized by Masonica. Today's episode is very special for us, as DisruptX turns one today. It was exactly a year ago that we started this platform to tackle interesting and insightful uh, discussions and conversations on how technology is positively disrupting almost every industry. I would like to thank all our speakers who have joined us. They made such interesting comments, such insightful views they've shared with us. Thank you so much to all our speakers and our viewers for watching the show. You've been such a huge part of our journey. Do continue to be part of the dialogue. On that note, continuing with our impact series that focuses on how technology is being leveraged to create an agile, inclusive, and sustainable world for the future generations. Today's episode is going to focus on the state of fintech in the MENA region. In this episode, we are going to discuss factors driving the fintech landscape, technology, redefining fintech, as well as regulatory uh, state uh, of the countries, different countries uh, where fintech startups are coming up. We'll also bring to you very interesting um, insights from how collaborations are happening. So without further ado, let me now welcome our speakers for today. Arvind Krishnamurthy, Vice President, Global Product Owner at Emirates NBD, and Padmini Gupta, co-founder and CEO of fintech startup, Share. A very warm welcome to Disrupt X, Padmini and Arvind. I'm so glad to have you on today's show. We chose fintech very deliberately for our impact uh, series this month because a lot is happening. There's a lot of interest and there's a lot of factors driving the growth of fintech as there's been this significant rise in demand for contactless and safe uh, financial services, be that uh, mobile payments, digital wallets, online fund transfer, and so much more. So much that the market is actually going to touch the three, surpass the 3.5 billion mark, actually. Um, and at that, I'm going to take as my starting point with the two of you. If I can bring you on first, uh, Padmini, if you could please share uh, some views on the state of the fintech industry. Why do you think and what are those factors fueling growth for the industry? The, the region actually came late to the, the sort of fintech scene. Um, the first significant regulatory framework actually was in January 2017. And that's when you when the central bank of the UAE started launching their new licensing program for digital payment services. Um, and then you start started really seeing the market booming, right? Um, so why is this market really sort of gaining steam? Um, it's because there's an ecosystem here that's conducive to financial alternative finance. Finance, um, you could see that with the the arrival of of crypto here, uh, a government that's actually at the center of efforts to drive innovation, and this ecosystem because of where it's located and the openness to having 
um, in international visitors, it's actually attracting a lot of international talent as well as international companies. And that's actually stimulating innovation in itself. I'm so glad you uh, bring up the fact that this um, industry, fintech industry, and the fact that the regulatory framework was only established around about five years ago. Now, uh, that also opens up a lot of untapped opportunities. On top of my mind is actually cross-border transactions, remittance that individuals make that accounts for a huge chunk uh, of what can be facilitated and how uh, it can be made affordable. But do you see a lot of barriers to entry as well? Of course, um, the price of starting a business can be really expensive. So that's one. Um, there, it's still a new market. Um, that's another. Um, what else? You know, uh, it's a smaller talent pool just because you know population small, right? So a smaller talent pool, but you know, having the ability to attract uh, international talent as well as to go remote when you're hiring talent uh, gives you a big plus because you're in the middle of multiple time zones. Um, and then, you know, there's there's certainty around um, around more certainty around regulation, but uh, you can also see that it's relatively new around partnerships with financial institutions. So as those um, succeed, then you'll see more fintechs being built with in partnerships with financial institutions. Fabulous. I'm going to take that as my starting point for Arvind. Uh, there was a point when uh, it was fintechs were being uh, viewed with a certain amount of threat to the banking industry. And there was much speculations that bigger banks, major banks, will sort of try to acquire uh, fintechs with high growth potential. But what we see is a complete difference in scenario. We see uh, there's a genuine urge to collaborate with fintechs to fill up certain gaps in the uh, you know, financial sector. How do you see that as an opportunity to service your existing and potential clients? Okay, yeah, thank you very much. That's a good question uh, to begin with. <clears throat> I think the, the point number one is that the, the so-called thought process that uh, you know, banks and fintechs uh, were at war at loggerheads, I think that got sorted out much, much earlier in, in the journey, saying that you know it's, it's, it's a question of collaborative uh, uh, approach, which we need to take rather than uh, you know, go against each other. Because both of them uh, serve uh, a specific purpose uh, in, in the industry itself. So uh, if, if I take an example of a fintech, uh, say an, an accounting system, right? So they also provide financial services in terms of managing somebody's books. Now, typically, uh, you know, there would be a bank uh, that will have its own transaction piece, and then there would be these, uh, you know, softwares, uh, the accounting softwares, which would be there, you know, and they, they need to sort of, you know, key in everything, do the entry twice. But with the advent of fintechs and the collaborative approach of the banks, the banks now and, and the accounting software they sort of talk to each other, right? So that gives a big value to the to, to the customer who's there. 
and I'm specifically talking more from an SME perspective or from the large corporates perspective, the entities which are there. So it brings about a lot of values when we collaborate uh, and and operate. Uh, at, at you know, at the end of the day, the, is the customer who's uh, who's happier, and hence he gets sort of retained. So that's that's one of the key things which is there. It's it's more of a collaborative approach rather than a disruptive approach, which earlier was the thought process. And I'm so glad you brought up SMEs because at this point, I mean, at least this data um, has has some relevance today. The rejection rate for SME lending is pretty high in the region. I'm not going to quote any numbers, but I believe that such collaborations will only uh, lead to you know better and a more smoother process when it comes to SMEs because they account for a large portion of GDP right now. Well, I'm, I was saying that the, the SME business are the uh, the foundation for any organization in terms of GDPs, right? Because they enable trade, they enable all the businesses and, and, and you know, uh, the, uh, the uplift of, of a country. It's not just the salary segment, it's, it's primarily the SMEs, which are large in numbers, but small values, but large in number, which are there. So they sort of uh, help the economy grow, uh, bring in opportunities of employment, bring in opportunities of cross-border transactions. So yeah, so they, they are the most important pillar in terms of uh, the growth of a GDP of, of a country. Sure, and, and I'll take that um, as my starting point for the next segment, which is financial inclusion, another very important uh, subject. We've seen that uh, different, and it is only normal, different countries in the MENA region are at different levels when it comes to financial inclusion. Obviously, uh, the UAE is actually leading that race with Bahrain and Saudi Arabia follow, following. Whereas we see certain countries like uh, Egypt, Algeria, and Morocco lagging behind a little bit. Uh, so Arvind, if you could help us understand how are banks leveraging innovative solutions, technology solutions to sort of uh, make way for safer and secure financial inclusion. To sort of begin with, uh, an SME uh, you know, will require funds to operate his business. And when you're looking for funds, he's obviously looking for certain loans, right? And as you rightly mentioned earlier, getting a loan in this region is difficult, uh, primarily because it's more of a transient population. Uh, so the cost of funds are much higher uh, from, from that perspective, right? But I think the center of it is, is the government, uh, which is helping us to set across the right kind of credit bureaus where you know you can get a quick view as to what is the health of the organization or the company where you want to lend uh, and of course the other uh, supporting uh, setups which they do uh, to you know help sme foster in this country right uh, make it easier for them to do business uh, easier for them to set up their companies uh, and, and you know that recently we transformed from an ownership perspective. Now anybody can own a hundred percent business, so that make it making a lot, a lot more easier, removing a lot more barriers. Now from the uh, tech front, uh, uh, again it's 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 the is the collaborative approach where for which this country is very open uh, for you know banks to integrate with the fintechs. The government is itself is providing uh, lots of services which will help uh, bank identify uh, and you know uh, auth authenticate uh, the customers to whom it is lending. 
from from the various databases which they have right so let's let's, let's take an example of uh, you know when you go out uh, to the from the airport you just look at the facial recognition and then you are out of the country right so that's that's the your entry and exit so government is sort of uh, is is leveraging on that capability and extending it to to the banks to use the same service where you get authenticated uh, the, the customer, you, you authenticate the customer saying whether he's the right customer or wrong customer, right? Is genuine or not, or whether it's a fraud or not. So which helps us sort of, you know, reduce the, lower the uh, the risk, uh, which will make the funds a lot more uh, cheaper. So initiatives like this, where the government is at the center of it and helping, uh, you know, the, the banks and, and the fintechs to sort of use these services in order to uh, make it much more uh, seamless this is on the run and and you is definitely on the forefront of this you also briefly mentioned about other markets uh bahrain yes in the payment space they are uh, ahead uh but but you is still yet to catch up to that level of the payment space if you look at uh, non-gcc countries like india uh, china or, or, or us the payments are very seamless uh, it's, it's, it's on a click of a button where the payment transactions can happen. Mm. Uh, UAE is, is getting there. Uh, there is uh, a drive initiative uh, to have more instant payments, which will help us fast track the trade transaction. It will help us fast track you know, the, the payments which come into each other's account. So which will again help on, on the recovery front as well for, for the, the banks and the customers themselves. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. A lot has also happened um, on the peer-to-peer, -peer, uh, you know, financing side of things. Yeah, peer-to-peer uh, -peer is more, uh, where you sort of have a deep integration with with the corporates. For example, uh, if you look at the larger corporates like Alpha Thames or, or, or you know any of the Carrefour and those those things, they are directly integrated into the banking system, right? Because they cannot afford to have, uh, you know. A, a payment to be made in in mass uh, to go through the manual process. So the banks and and these large corporates are integrating directly with their uh, ERP and and the payment systems which they have, the billing systems which they have, uh, so that you know the the transactions can be seamless, faster, and of course uh, you know uh, there is a complete track uh, from an audit point of view saying that yes, the transactions can be reconciled and we know exactly which vendor has made the payment or which supplier has uh, is yet to make the payment. So that sort of helps the peer-to-peer -peer at, at, at an entity level. Uh, and of course, at the individual level, you have uh, uh, you know simple things like a mobile-based payment. Uh, I, I can send money to another mobile uh, number straight away and the, the amount gets credited uh, more or less instantly. So that's that's again on the rise. Uh, but what we need to see uh, is is more of uh, instant payment, which is integrated, say, into a WhatsApp, or uh, you know, where uh, like like for, for example, it would be a Paytm in India, where you know merchants are just receiving the money based on the QR code. So that level of integration is yet to come, but that is something which is uh, working, being worked on a fast track as far as the, the banking and the central banking infrastructure is concerned. Certainly, a lot of development already under the way. Padmini, uh, a lot of developments happening, of course, uh, yet we have a significantly large unbanked population. 
By that I mean this population does not have access to traditional banking accounts. A lot of things are changing with the rise of uh, fintech startups like yours. Uh, that's, uh, that's, that's birds to life literally to solve a problem, to bank the unbanked. How do you see this space uh, developing and um, you know, how are you building sustainable and profitable business models while keeping that social impact side alive? So I look at this problem as a financial inclusion problem, right? And so let's sort of define what financial inclusion is. It actually started about it started about how some sections of society didn't have access to bank accounts. But now it's actually come to mean a much wider range of services, ranging from financial literacy to credit to insurance. And 2020 essentially has completely changed consumption habits and digitized financial services at a completely unprecedented pace. Um, <clears throat> more transactions are happening digitally and online. So financial inclusion itself, in, which includes the unbanked or underbanked, has to evolve to cater to the new needs of the masses in that, this digital era, right? It's no longer good enough to say, okay, you have a bank account. You also need to have the ability to transact online. It's no longer good enough to say, um, let's have state-sponsored credit schemes. It's important to have access to credit online. It's no longer enough to say, let's have state-sponsored deposit schemes. In an era of negative interest rates, it's critical to have this to allow people to invest and plan for their futures online. So essentially, financial inclusion itself has to be able to evolve itself to allow anyone anywhere to participate fully in that digital economy, to be able to create, to save, to invest, to borrow, to grow. Um, and this is really important in the MENAP region where less than one in six adults have access to bank accounts and 85% of all transactions are cash-based. And that sort of mirrors our story. So. We actually started RISE with this view to help migrants better mi manage their finances. Our initial product was bank accounts because without one, it's not possible to do anything. And we very quickly realized that we need a whole stack of financial products to bring to migrants, to bring them into the financial fold. So we started with a financial health check, which gave them a view into the state of their finances in 30 seconds using a fun and engaging chatbot. We included in, uh, insurance through bespoke insurance through AXA, our partner, to help migrants better protect themselves and their futures, future finances of their families. We also launched unique cross-border buy now, pay later services, allowing migrants to purchase products for their families back home. And then we did that with our latest product share, which actually rose from the insights and the problems we saw during COVID, the digitization, the need for digitization of cash. Um, and so our the problem we saw most was on something that you've mentioned before, which is 
how problematic remittances were during COVID. See, during COVID, when people were sending money, even if the sender had a bank account, the receiver may not have. So all that money got cashed out and had to be spent. And people weren't actually able to spend cash during COVID, right? So imagine the, the issues around remittances. And so we built Share to allow people to share their access to their debit or credit cards with their families back home without sending cash, effectively allowing them that transaction to happen online and allowing them and their families to become part of this digital economy. Cool. When SHARE began, we realized that migrants were a specific use case because they were sending money back home for their families. But what we also realized with the growth of SHARE is that this is actually how friends and families operate in, in, in at any time right? Being able to share money. So it's actually grown locally, right? Within a country as well as cross-border globally. That's amazing. And very quickly, can you uh, share uh, any growth percentage from the time you rebranded to share to now? Oh, that, that number was at like 50,000%. <laughs> it's an amazing <laughs> number. Just this year alone, it's been like 15x. So... Uh, we started around, I'd say, one and a half years ago. We launched Share. That was lovely insights, Padmanish. Thank you for sharing this uh, on the show and happy about the kind of progress that Share is making. Starting this segment with funding. We've seen fintechs uh, get access to large amount of funding. Uh, so to quote some data, uh, the region uh, a loan raised about a billion dollars of funding uh, in 2021. And the growth momentum is going to continue. It's expected that 800 fintech firms are expected to raise around $2 billion in VC funding by end of this year. I'm going to start with you, Padmini. How do you see access to funding and investments catalyzing those major changes uh, for the fintech landscape in the region. We've already seen that the the growth rate of fintech in in the region is around thirty percent and growing. Right, that percentage is also growing. And then there's been a substantial amount of funding just this year alone, um, and that I want to go back to actually a basic. Right. So what is the basic? Um, this world, the World Banca Bank actually comes from the World Banca, which means bench. The thing that people would sit on and the way people would sit across each other and help each other in times of need. And sometimes we forget that when it comes to complex regulations, complex financial products, branches that have become really overwhelming to even walk into sometimes, right? Because they're giant institutions. And this region with the growth of fintech, with the increase in funding of fintech, is actually on the cusp of a fintech Cambrian explosion with hundreds of fintech companies serving every niche across the market, 
coming into the market within the next decade. And that you'll see open APIs, you know, more payment services, more wallets, literally everything that you can see um, that you feel that there is a need for will increase, will come into the market um, in the coming decade. And that's what having funding does. It helps you grow into a growing market. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I have a follow-up question. Do you see some of the countries within the region faring better than the others? So let's say uh, countries such as Saudi Arabia, um, countries such as UAE. You know, I'm <clears throat> looking at the region as a whole. I see the whole region sort of, um, especially the GCC region, really sort of... Um, growing substantially. And why do I feel that way? Because countries like Saudi Arabia, the UAE, Bahrain, they all, and in Qatar, they all have now um, not just regula regulation, but they're actually actively looking into how to uh, couple innovation with regulation, right? So, and that in itself, certainty around regulation allows for markets to grow. So that's one. Funding allows markets to grow. Success in certain markets allows other companies to also enter the market, right? Because you, you're seeing success. So why do I feel the GCC is well set to do this? Because we're seeing companies, especially fintech companies, that are actually succeeding in in you know all of the, the countries in this region. Arvind, I'm going to turn to you now. And... Um get your views on whether you see this kind of interest um, on behalf of VC firms continuing uh, sort of investing into the sector when uh, the, the overall climate seems to be a little difficult and challenged right now. So VCs will continue to invest uh, in, in, in fintechs where they see a value proposition which is unique, uh, which is solving a specific problem. Okay, uh, if you look at like so, Kareem, which started in in UAE, right? So that's given birth to that, and and mm -hmm. how successful that venture has become, where it has gone international mm -hmm. as well, right? And the and ultimately getting uh, the VCs, the the companies will get on to a listing mode as well on their own, right? So um, from from a point of view of investment, yes. Um, we see a strong cooperation, uh, considering uh, that the government uh, itself is promoting these. There are lots of uh, fintech hives, uh, which which are there for 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 fostering uh, these innovation, innovative ideas. They're setting up labs, uh, you know, which which gives the opportunities for people to come across from different parts of the world. Uh, to explore the opportunities and showcase their uh, unique proposition, which is there and which sort of attracts uh, funding in return on that. So a lot is being done. It's not just about uh, just the just, just the ability uh, or capability of individual. They also need to have the right kind of environment and atmosphere and infrastructure for them to thrive and explore and experiment. So if you look at Sharjah, they have an innovation hub uh, where they're talking about air taxis and stuff like that. Uh, if you look at Dubai, Dubai Hyphentech next to DIFC, so they have one entire lab. And and banks themselves uh, are also promoting these kind of uh, 
you know, uh, activities where you come up with the innovative ideas, you give a product solution, put up a business case, and banks are willing to fund those as well, or get into a partnership with them to fund those, uh, you know, initiatives which are sort of solving a, 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 a specific use case. And at the same time, giving them a platform at in 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 a in a larger uh, geography or, or larger scale for them to see whether it actually works or not. So insightful, so nice to hear. And collaboration seems to be our theme for the episode, which makes me incredibly happy. Um, Padmini, may I move over to you and uh, tackle this point? So Arvind just spoke about how the region is progressing how uh, different entities are emerging to solve a problem, to provide solutions. We've seen that uh, the regional fintech sandboxes, um, the number of these centers, how they have increased. Uh, there were four uh, such sandboxes in 2019, which has now increased to, um, if I'm not mistaken, 11. And this number is set to grow. Uh, what do you see uh, this translating for uh, the fintech landscape? Do you see it getting stronger, more competitive, yet sustainable? I do. So, you know, innovation is not going to be able to thrive without that sort of system, systematic regulatory support, right? The UAE, I think, is an amazing example of this. Um, they established fintech adoption and growth as there's essential national priority, shaping the path for greater innovation and strengthening actually the ecosystem. They've got a UAE FinTech office. Um, they've got a national AI strategy for 2031. Um, they have national innovation strategy, right? So, and that will actually, that will help the market sort of grow itself. Um, in in terms of the 11 sandboxes, the DIFC has one and ADGM have one. And that actually means that they are thinking about how to support FinTech innovation as well as FinTech growth and certainty. Thing will be to actually look at how these multiple sandboxes sort of work together to bring more cohesive policy through the region. Right, so to continue that growth. Sure, couldn't agree more. And uh, looking towards the future, let's say in the near term, what is that one development that you are super excited about? I'm excited about us. You know, we have, given that the region we're in, we were inspired by the events of COVID and the customers we were serving to build something, to build the ability to put financial product creation into the hands of individuals, allowing people to create and distribute financial propositions through share, just like Airbnb did with allowing anyone to be a hospitality provider or Uber did with allowing anyone to be a transport provider. And <clears throat> see, one of the things that um, hasn't happened is just that being able to provide the sort of income earner to allow this, their dependents to spend from them. Um, so I'm really excited about share. I'm excited about the growth that we've had. 
the the facts that we leverage trust networks, right? Your family is those who you trust more than anyone else. And uh, leveraging those trust networks to help us to grow and help the, the users themselves to grow. Amazing. Arvind, we have seen that um, banking looks much different from what it used to be five years ago. Uh, accelerated tremendously during COVID. If you could tell us, what do you expect future of banking to look like? Banks should disappear, okay? Disappear from the front line. Disappear from a customer's point of view. Banks is only as a service which should be there and, and the customer should be focusing more on what they need to do, most focus more on the business. So all this sort of leads uh, essentially towards experience, right? A product can be copied by anyone. So if you take out one innovative product proposition uh, within the bank, uh, it's not very difficult to replicate that the other bank can easily replicate. But what is difficult to replicate and sustain is the service aspect of it okay is what the experience is having and that's the that's the biggest shift which we are seeing uh, happening uh with with the help of uh, fintechs who help us solve the specific problem right uh like like at the beginning i mentioned that you know uh, when we have partnerships with say an accounting firm right so the customer is focused more on doing his business uh, on on the platform which he chooses and bank becomes as a, you know a supporting role in the background, and that's the that's the, that's the direction which we see more more on the experience, more or service oriented. Uh, at the end of the day, it's service industry, right? So that's where the shift would be uh, to ensure that you have a fairer share of the wallet, you have a you know uh, uh, a better marketing. Uh, by word of mouth rather than having to put big holdings so those are going to differentiator and of course uh, collaborating with with the fintechs they make it a lot more easier uh, from a customer point of view to interact with the banks sure easy uh, seamless of course but we also see strengthening of the sustainability agenda we see that companies are genuinely paying more attention to carbon statements and uh, how does that whole uh, you know dialogue play into the uh, banking segment i think esg is a very important aspect when when you look at uh, you know the future uh, future which we want to the, the kind of world we want to leave early for for the future generations to come and there is a lot more focus on how green the companies or how 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 better the governance of the companies are they economic eco-friendly kind of companies and you know there is a weighted push not only from you know from the company's outlook but also from a financial aspect because sustainability is the biggest factor which is going to come in uh, and and a super governance, a good governance is is another aspect which one looks at from a you know society point of view. So that's that's an important aspect. There's a, a big shift uh, as to get that into uh, into into the mechanics of you know from a lending point of view or from opening a bank account point of view where you or a fintech where you want to partner with. So that's an important aspect which is uh, which is taking focus on these days. And that's a wrap. 
Thank you so much, Arvind and uh, Padmini, for joining me on uh, today's show. It has been incredible and very, very insightful. Thank you so much for sharing such brilliant views about the industry and your respective businesses. Thank you. I, I think uh, platforms like these, uh, you know, help promote uh, uh, the fintechs and, of course, uh, good governance, which are there, and gives uh, an opportunity for a wider audience outside uh to to you know leverage on what is happening in the, in the market uh in, in in a good way so thank you very much for the opportunity thank you as well i i really enjoyed being part of it and um love the engaging questions and and uh, thanks for having me on an absolute pleasure to have you both on today's show very a very exciting journey that we've scaled over the past year Thank you once again to our audience for being part of our journey. We do ask you once again to share your thoughts, feedback, and questions on our LinkedIn page. If you have a transformative story, do share with us and get featured in our Did You Know segment. Of course, this show wouldn't have been possible without the support of Team Disrupt X, spearheaded by Upasana Barua. It's a wrap, but I'm not leaving just yet. I've got an exciting announcement to make. After hosting some really interesting and insightful episodes on Disrupt X and completing our 12 months journey, we are launching a brand new format, up close and exclusive, which will be hosted by our wonderful colleague, Brooke Hall. Welcome to Disrupt X, Brooke. Can you tell us a little bit about Up Close and Exclusive? What can our audience expect? Thank you, Katha. I'm thrilled to be here today to tell you about Disrupt X's new video podcast series, Up Close and Exclusive. This is a fantastic opportunity for our audience to learn about the personal journeys and viewpoints of leading business executives. The format will be a cool and intimate fireside style setting as our guests share anecdotes and experiences, as well as discuss the impact of technology in their industries. I'm so excited to be sharing with our audience inspiring conversations and influential stories with our new video podcast series, Up Close and Exclusive. So stay tuned. That sounds really exciting. So to our audience, do watch out for more announcements on Up Close and Exclusive. Until our next episode of Disruptex, stay well and take care. See you in 2023.